Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Hi, welcome into Nothing Impossible. Travis Sheridan on the road in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, for those of you that are listening, uh, Winston-Salem is in the triad, not the triangle. Look it up and come hang out here because that's what I am doing right now. And I am hanging with Jen Brown, the founder of Fearless. Uh, we're going to have her talk a little bit more about that. But I am in the Fearless space in Winston-Salem. Jen, what is Fearless and how fearless are you? Uh, well... <laughs> What a starter of a question. I mean, you can't have something called fearless and like not know that you are fearless in and of yourself. I think it's an interesting definition of fearless, but I'll get to that after I tell you what it is. Okay, sure. uh, Fearless is a women's collective. It's a collaborative collective, actually. Mm -hmm. So all the programming is driven by members. Everything from bring your own tools and learn how to curl your hair all the way to memoirs 101 all the way to understanding black power in North Carolina and black history so it is driven by members I don't do any of the planning I Mm -hmm. curate it to make sure that we don't have like two of the same classes because the point of fearless is to really elevate women and not just the same women that get elevated in a small town consistently because that happens you have the superstars you have the celebrities sure this is more about the everyday woman Mm -hmm. this is more about that person that's like, you know what? I really want to teach a knitting class one day, or I really need to work outside my house. So we offer co-working during the day, co-working not in the traditional sense because we've had everything from sewing machines in here to jewelry makers Mm -hmm. in here to the traditional co-working and then also programming. Um, We are a clubhouse for women, I think is the best way to describe it. A clubhouse for women. Now, uh, does fear... Is fear holding women back sometimes? Do they need this fearless uh, bone in their body, this fearless bent to take this next jump? I think the word fearless holds people back because people think that fearlessness is like the absence of fear. And I think it's doing it anyway, even though you know you're uh, okay. afraid of things. Yeah. Like none of us pretend that we are the strongest or the bravest or anything. Yeah. And I think that's that's what this, it's a, it's a space that you can experiment, you can play, you can uh-huh. have fun. You don't necessarily have to be with without fear Mm -hmm. you have to understand that one day you will be without that fear like in order to be part of fearless and I think that's why how fearless are you like I get scared all the time and people see me as a person that's fearless and see me as a person that does these crazy things these big talks starting businesses and I do it despite the fear Mm -hmm. and I think that sense of like like women being held back by fear I think we stand in our own way 
more than anything else, thinking that we have to be fearless, that mm-hmm. we have to be this big, emboldened person. And the truth is, we have to be our own definition of mm. fearless, our own definition of brave. Yeah. That might be trying a new food. Mm-hmm. It might be trying something you've never experienced before. It might be like just looking at our schedule that's on the wall over here. Something that people really, really enjoy to come to and be part of is like, one of our skill-based classes. Yeah. So this weekend we have basics of cake decoration. Okay. So if you have been scared to try it or go to like a really expensive cake decorating class, this is a $25 class. You can try it. You might be terrible at it. And then you can go, you know what? I didn't let my fear stand in the way of trying something. And, and then your Pinterest fail may be less of a fail. Exactly. Right? One little incremental improvement over your Pinterest fail. So in that sense, yeah, I think that fearless, like the fear does hold people back. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that weird definition of like, oh, you have to be this bold person in the world to get yeah. around. And you don't. You just have to be ready to face your fear and try it anyways. So your background, uh, you're an actor by training. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've done a lot of improv. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, there's a lot of overcoming fear in a in a in a team in a systemic way through improv. How, what are the parallels that you've seen in your improv work and in the work you're doing with Fearless? So in improv, one of my favorite statements is "follow the fear." Okay, uh, it's a statement by Del Close. He was mm-hmm. a huge founder of like short form improv and mm-hmm. improv in general. Worked out of Chicago, and that idea of following the fear. He says it because in improv, when you're afraid of something, there's probably something amazing on the other side of that, and it's the, all those like phrases that are on posters of like, (laughs) hey, like life begins outside of your comfort zone and all that. But it's true because I think that we both improv teaches you just to go with it Yeah. because you're playing, you're listening and responding to the world around you. So you do follow that fear. And here at Fearless, I encourage people to do something they're afraid of, Mm -hmm. to get that power. We have an online community of about 3,600 women Mm -hmm. from both the triad area where we are and then beyond that a little bit and if someone is scared of something like for example someone was moving and they were really nervous about meeting new friends they posted that question and people were peppering in this advice Mm -hmm. and in that moment it's like you're not alone and with improv it's all about team it's all about making someone else look better so I think like the two of them really lend itself to the other Mm -hmm. because you're constantly looking to help someone else and in turn that helps you you uh, you've lived in New York you lived in Chicago Mm-hmm. You're now in Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of kindness and helping each other seems to be maybe more of a small town attribute. There's also a whole list of things that are frustrating about small towns. But what have you seen uh, in Winston-Salem? Because you know this show originates out of St. Louis. We are you know these these non-coastal cities that are doing amazing things. How have you seen your uh, ability to make an impact in a, a city like this? There are so many people who want to do something and Mm -hmm. they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea of having something for people to rally around that's open-ended enough that they can find their path within it, Mm -hmm. but also focused. Something that we talk a lot about is our North Star. Like, where are we going? Mm -hmm. And because our mission with Fearless is so open-ended to uplift women, Mm -hmm. that's it. We're uplifting women. Whatever that looks like to you, awesome. Before that, there's people that in this smaller town that Mm -hmm. are like, oh, I want to do this again, but I'm scared. But I'm also this mom, but I'm also this business owner, but I can't do something like that. 
I think the coastal cities draw the people who have the big ideas and have the confidence to make that idea happen. Mm-hmm. I think the the smaller cities they have these big ideas, but they're like, oh, I just am this. So I think that that the ability that I've had living in another city, saying like, hey. We can do this. It doesn't matter. Like everyone is scared. We all sure. can rally around this idea. And I think that's what's really made us successful here and I think that's that that's what the beauty of smaller towns are because you can have a north star. You can have a lot of people working towards it mm-hmm. and not replicating it just because they think they can do it better. Yeah. They're all under this umbrella driving it that much farther. Like we wouldn't yeah. be where we are if there were like 20 fearlesses that popped up around and if you look at larger cities like just as women's co-working yeah. you've got all of these things that pop up when one looks successful yeah here people are more apt to rally under something and that's a really awesome thing in a smaller community so the analogy i often use uh, being from california is that in san francisco there are 10 really good ethiopian restaurants it's one of my favorite cities it's one of my favorite cuisines uh in a city like st louis missouri there's one really good ethiopian restaurant but that one is on par with the 10 in san francisco mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like you're saying the same thing with a city like winston-salem uh, where you have an organization like fearless yeah fearless could be a dime a dozen in other places mm-hmm. there's there's 10 really good fearless esque brands mm-hmm. and organizations in a city like New York but here there's one mm-hmm. and it's really damn good mm-hmm. and people can rally behind it how have you seen the community like what hole are you filling what are people saying what are your women saying that participate in this I think it's it's both having a physical space and a place they can go without judgment so mm-hmm. as women I think we have the, the stereotype sometimes is true as women. Like, we get catty. We mm-hmm. think the pie of success is finite. Mm-hmm. We think that because this woman got this, I won't get this. And that's because there's been such a long history of this tokenization almost of like, oh, you have a woman leader. Great. You don't need any more women leaders. Right. Oh, you have this one woman doing this one thing. We yeah. don't need any more of that. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. This is Travis Sheridan, and we're talking with Jen Brown in uh, Winston-Salem at a nice facility, building, space full of brick and bright colors. It's called Fearless. Uh, Fearless's website, by the way, is what? FearlessWSNC.com. Okay, Fearless WSNC, like Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So that's the first website we'll put out there, but you're also working on a book. Mm-hmm. So we will talk about that as well. <laughs> this is not like the official like post-publication uh, uh, interview, but uh, tell us, our listeners, a little bit about the book, and it really ties into your improv roots. It's right? interesting, because like all of my, I, I joke that I have kids. Um, yeah. I don't actually have physical children. I have plants and a dog, yeah. um, but my, my businesses feel like my children, yeah. because my book is all about how, how everyday people that don't want to be actors can use improv to help in their communication skills specifically at work it is the longest title ever so i will probably butcher it it's think on your feet tips and tricks to improving your impromptu communication skills on the job it's so long. Um. So go to. Think on your feet. No, I'm just kidding. That, that's not the URL, is it? Like, that's, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, you can like the to, entire title is the length of a tweet. Like yes, it's 140 ex- characters exactly, in that exactly. title. Exactly. Um, but it, it takes my my other thing that I do, which mm-hmm. is using improv to help people communicate better and build their confidence, and mm-hmm. that's through the engaging educator. Mm-hmm. It takes that and it gives people a tangible thing that they can read about and mm-hmm. learn and practice these activities at home in case they don't have an organization. 
location or a place that they can practice. Um, it's it's funny because it all lends itself together because if you think about it, Fearless is a space that mm-hmm. women can uplift their own voices and, right. and find the, the both themselves and what they're interested in and use their voice. EE teaches you how to dig into that voice and find and use it. Mm-hmm. And Tips and Tricks offers you this written, like, how-to book almost and like it's a whole it. package imagine it's, that i'm wow. connected and have a north star of my own in a way <laughs> um but it's it's funny because i call fearless like ee's little sister yeah. so then th- tips and tricks might be like ee's offspring so i think i'm into like grandkids now okay. maybe i'm not yeah. sure um the family the family tree is getting very complex the metaphor is getting too complex for me. <laughs> but it's it's this whole idea that that you have a voice Mm -hmm. you have an amazing one and it doesn't have to sound like someone else's confidence for you doesn't have to look like confidence for someone else you speaking up doesn't have to look that same way you being able to pivot in a situation where you have that deer in headlights look doesn't have to be amazing the first go out because you can learn how to do that and yeah. that's that's that whole idea. Like we're all learning. We're all here growing and learning together. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that other like north star through it all, through the book, yeah. through EE, through fearless. Is you have to keep learning and improving on yourself because you want things to be better for yourself and everyone else. Uh, I know that. So I spent three years doing stand up comedy, and it helped me on my writing skills. I'm not surprised at that. <laughs> <laughs> it helped me with my writing skills. It also helped me uh, coach entrepreneurs on mm-hmm. how to give a pitch mm-hmm. uh, because you have to have like a seven minute set and a twenty minute set, and when the light comes on, you're off. And there's a lot of empathy of reading the audience. Uh, you work with entrepreneurs as well, uh, helping them with their pitch. Mm-hmm. What are some things? That, what are some transferable skills from the work that you've seen and done in improv to the startup community and what they need? I think one of the biggest thing, two of the biggest things, um, the first is you get the energy you put out. Okay. So if you walk into a space, whether you're performing or whether you're doing a pitch or leading a meeting, if you feel nervous, everyone there will feel nervous too. Mm -hmm. Think about the last time you saw a speaker that felt a little awkward or looked a little awkward. How did you feel? Yeah weird probably yeah. and you that's the last thing you want you don't yeah. want someone leaving listening and talking to you being like oh I feel like I just put on a wet sweater or something yeah. like that right. so that you get the energy you put out like whatever's going on in your head is what you're going to be projecting uh-huh. so really check yourself yeah. like before you before you pitch before you lead a meeting before you go into an interview anything like mm-hmm. and if you need to like jazz yourself up think of something great think of something mm-hmm. amazing before we went on stage I performed off Broadway for 10 years yeah. before we went on stage we would all hug each other and say got your back and that is something that I still take places because mm-hmm. I'm like if I'm with a group of people I'm like I, I have their back and I know they have mine Yeah. and I walk in with in, even into a meeting of no one wants to see me fail yeah. No one wants to see me make a mistake. And isn't that isn't that true with public speaking? Somebody has said, like, the audience is there on your side. Yes. Like, they want you to be successful. Yes. And they're probably the same for an entrepreneur giving a pitch. Like, the people listening are saying, this is the one I want to hear right now. No one wants to see you fail. Yeah. There's, there's, like, something like one in 20 people are sociopaths. So okay. if you're in a room with 20 people, sure, one of them wants to see you fail yeah. because they're crazy. Right. And yeah. <laughs> a lot of things are going on there. But most of them don't. Yeah. Like, almost all of them, you can guarantee that they're not going to want to see you make a mistake. And I think that's one thing from improv. Like, people don't go to improv shows or stand-up shows or comedy. They don't want to go to see something terrible and bomb and be awful. Mm -hmm. And the same thing... They do on Nickel Pizza Night on a Tuesday open mic. Nickel Pizza Night? Yeah, that's that's where the audience is like, I'm here for the Nickel Pizza... And I want to see you fail, stand-up comic. I really feel this is a personal story. 
I'm conducting the interview here, Jen. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. In most cases, yeah. aside from right. nickel pizza night, there's no nickel pizza at these pitch meetings right. or these yeah. meetings. Yeah. You you just really have to understand that they want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think the other really great improv tool mm-hmm. that or improv principle, I guess is this idea of yes and and mm-hmm. without getting too deep into what yes and mm-hmm. is because it's so complex and so nuanced it's saying yes to the possibility mm-hmm. and adding your own so yes okay. this is reality right mm-hmm. now yes I am in a room and yes I am scared and yeah. I'm not going to let that stand in my way mm-hmm. yes this is a great thing yes you've suggested something I may not agree with it and I'm going to add what I'm thinking hmm. as opposed to saying the word but mm-hmm. the word but is argumentative the word but lessens one thing above another So, yes, this is a really great opportunity, but I'm scared. You've just elevated that second statement Mm -hmm. over the first. So are you more scared than this is a good opportunity? Interesting. Okay. Maybe. Why can't you link it with Anne to even it out? Because then your fear is just as much as how of a great opportunity. So then you have a choice. Yeah. Because they're equal. So this idea of yes and I think is something that like read into it, look into it. You can Google yes and for leadership, yes yeah. and for business. I've written a lot on yes and. Mm-hmm. It's one of those incredibly nuanced things. It's written on my wrist in a tattoo. Yeah. Um, it's been there for quite some time. And I really do believe it's a game changer when you change your thought process around yeah. that. And it's an improv principle. It's a very simple. One. Well, and oftentimes in these pitch competitions, uh, or even just a pitch set session, there's the Q and A, and the entrepreneur is in a defensive, right? They'll they'll at the the panelist will ask a question, and the entrepreneur will say yes, but blah blah blah, right? It's like they're mm-hmm. answering mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. even even in a Q and A session, they're undermining their ability, mm-hmm. uh, saying yes to a, a a bold question or a, a challenge, and then putting the and on it mm-hmm. uh, helps relevel the the playing field and the power structure between them. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you're doing Q&A, like if you really want a, a, a quick like pro tip, yeah. yes, I hear that you're saying X, Y, and Z, and here's what I think. Yeah. Because you're affirming what just gets said, right. and you're showing that person that you're actually listening to them. There's a study out of Harvard that when you're talking to someone, if you show that you're actively listening to them, the same areas of their brain light up as like cocaine, good food, and sex. So the dopamine fires. Okay. Yeah. So that sense of like showing a, a judge at a pitch competition or a, someone that you're listening to in a meeting, I'm listening to you. Yes, I hear you. Yes, this is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And here's how I'm answering that question. Yeah. You not only are showing that you're actively listening, you're removing that defensive aspect that you're talking about. Yeah. Because we hear the word but and we fight. Yeah. People but themselves, like you're saying, yeah. yeah, that's a great idea, but we can do whatever you want. Really? Then what do you mean? Because right. you just elevated one thing above another. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I always challenge people after they hear me talk about this is pay attention to how often you butt yourself, yeah. someone else, or if you have butt people in your life. Mm-hmm. And like we can laugh, haha, butt people. But at the same time, but at the same time, uh-huh. it's so important to just see where are those those argumentative naysayers, the uh-huh. people that are elevating one opinion over another or one thing above another, where are they in your life? Mm-hmm. And it's shocking when you sit back and look at it and go, wow, I'm that person in meetings. Sure. But we don't have money. Yes. But that's a lot of work. But we have to do this. Yeah. Or oh, I'm spending a lot of time with one of these people and they're shutting down ideation. Mm -hmm. But this, but that. Because it ends any sort of brainstorming. Sure. The second you throw that in. So don't be a butt. Nope. That's the rule. (laughs) Uh, Jen, thanks so much for chatting with us. Where can people like either follow you or get more information about uh, what you're working on or your book? 
am so easy to online stalk. Uh, you can find my website at jenbrown.co. So jenbrown, one N, the normal spelling. I'll go to bat for that one of jenbrown.co. And then I'm on Twitter, Instagram, all over the place. Please do say hi. I always, people will tell me like months down the line, like, oh, I heard this interview from you. I'm like, why didn't you just say hi? Like, I would have talked to you. I love meeting new people as much of an introvert as I am because it's a one-on-one. Yeah. So just find me online. My maiden name is way too long for you to Google. So that's a good one. Fearless is a great place. And also The Engaging Educator. Very easily Googleable. Very good. Well, Jen, thank you for talking with us. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited I got to spend time with you. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Travis Sheridan on location at Modern Litho, uh, located right in the hill in the heart of St. Louis. And I'm walking around and get to experience their grand reopening of their new space. It's an open house. And I think when you think of printing, uh, maybe you think of, you know, those circulars that you get in the mail or even sometimes junk mail. Uh, But so much that we see and interact with on a daily basis is printed, be it billboards or car wrap. And you might wonder, why are we talking about this on a show related to innovation? Well, this is a legacy industry that has to innovate to stay relevant, not just now, but long into the future. And so I get to, I'm sitting down with a couple of uh, team members and uh, executives with uh, Modern Litho. We have Jeff Davidson, who is uh, in charge of uh, corporate strategy. And uh, we have Cassandra Atchison, uh, who's in charge of marketing and communications. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us, Travis. Uh, Cassandra, I'm going to start with you. We'll get over to strategy in just a second. Uh, I think your role is interesting because... Uh, you do marketing uh, for an aid for a company that sells products that are marketing related. How have you seen this industry change in the last few years? Uh, I think that um print buyers are changing in general. Um, They're becoming more marketing strategists, and so we've had to adapt our strategy to really come in earlier in the conversation with with marketing departments. So we really like to come in and be ahead of their um, their whole strategy so that we can figure out what products and services through print can add value to their overall strategies. And are you so. are, are you seeing them still doing a lot of print? I mean, I uh, I think heaven forbid somebody says, oh, I don't need a graphic designer because my nephew knows a, a Photoshop type of thing. <laughs> uh, right. are, what are you seeing as the the biggest things that they're printing or communicating through print these days? Um, well, I, I think that print is definitely a part of the overall strategy as far as it works with the digital avenues. Um, it is not an and-or situation. It is definitely, I'm oh, sorry, it's not an or situation. It's an and situation. So how does your print magnify your digital strategy? And how does your, your digital strategy work with your print? Um, you really do have to have both for them to be effective. And so we try to you know walk the walk, and mm-hmm. we do the same thing. We have a very robust digital strategy even though we are a, mar- or a, a printing company doing marketing, you know. Mm-hmm. So we, we really try to combine the two and um, stay on the, the leading edge of that, of that strategy. So. That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, uh, I run by day, run Venture Cafe. It's, mm-hmm. a, uh, it's a very analog environment, right? I would, I would consider print a very analog environment. And what we often say is that relationships might get started digitally, but they're strengthened in analog. And I would say the same thing probably happens in the print world as well. You might start something on the periphery from a digital impression, uh, but having a magazine that you look through, and my wife is a librarian, so the tactile, tactile mm-hmm. nature of printed materials really helps a person deepen, a re- deepen their relationship with a message. 
Oh, absolutely. I think that um, a printed piece can definitely add credibility. So, Jeff, I'm going to turn over to you now. Speaking of staying relevant, and sure. I mean, we all knew what happened when the printing press was invented and how that <laughs> revolutionized the world. What do you lo- What are you looking at as it relates to strategy for modern litho? Well, so that's a great question. Um, you know, I would say that, number one, what we're trying to do to expand on what Cassandra and what you were talking about is is the printed piece is adding value. We've been touching a printed piece for thousands of years, right? Um, and so it's ingrained in who we are as humans. Um, and so uh, the difference is now that we're competing with other media. When the printing press was invented, it was the only way to get out a message. Now it's one of very many ways. So um, we have to be uh, we have to be faster. We have to be cheaper. We have to be uh, more timely. We have to be more accurate. All of these things with our messaging that we're bringing to the market. So whenever we look at a strategy, we think, you know, how can we augment the printed piece today? How can we bring additional value to our customers? How can we make sure that this uh, media is relevant to our society today? And those are how we start to evaluate uh, products, um, uh, different uh, areas that we want to go into. Uh, We look at it to add value to our customer base. I I mentioned the printing press, but I guess we shouldn't forget about, you know, papyrus and wall writing and er, like the (laughs) earliest forms of printing. That's exactly right, right? It's ingrained in our human DNA. It's thousands of years. It's really what differentiates us from animals, the fact that we can write. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we've been communicating ideas in print, passing print back and forth into our physical hands for... Uh, for so long, uh, we don't think it's going anywhere. It's not sexy, right? It's unsexy. Uh, it's not as cool as a podcast, but I tell you what, you know, you can really communicate value with print, and that's where we see our customers using it. Mm-hmm. When they want to get that true value communication into somebody's hands, they're doing it with print. Now, I've, uh, I've seen and I've experienced uh, the role that augmented reality is playing combined with print. Are you, uh, is Modern Litho getting into that space at all? Uh, we have gone into uh, augmented, uh, augmented reality. Um, it's, it's definitely in a weird position right now. It, it came in. It's kind with, of a novelty uh, right now. Nobody yeah, really knows how to do anything with that, it. That's yeah. exactly right. I would say, <laughs> yeah. you know, it got really hot. There was a lot of startups around uh, mm-hmm. virtual reality and augmented reality. And, and those things have really taken a, uh, a lot of heat on, mm-hmm. in the venture capital side, right? Yeah. It's kind of in uh, nuclear winter right now yeah. of uh, uh, augmented reality and virtual reality. Uh, but we think there's a space for it at mm-hmm. some point in the future. Uh, someone, uh, whether that's Apple or Microsoft mm-hmm. or someone, will will uh, perfect that technology as a deliverable to us uh, more easily than it is today. Um, and it'll be a great way in the future to interact with not just printed material that you hold in your hands, but printed signage mm-hmm. um, out, in, out in the real world. And so we're excited about what augmented reality can do mm-hmm. uh, for our industry. And we're, uh, uh, we've, we've been a little bit, I think, uh, as, a, as an industry on the bleeding edge of that. And so I think people are stepping back and saying, let's figure out what the applications are. Let's figure out how to do it really well. And then let's, let's come in and reintroduce it when the time is right. One of the thi- so I mentioned my wife being a librarian, and everybody always asks her, "Well, there's e-readers. Is our library going to disappear?" And she says, "No, they're not going to disappear because people still need access to information. I mean, that's really what libraries provide." Mm-hmm. If I look at the print world, we maybe the volume of overall like magazines are being reduced, but I'm noticing more and more niche publications, mm-hmm. right, that are very targeted. Cassandra, can you talk a little bit about that? How you've seen. Uh, you know, maybe the mass media is starting to shrink a little bit, but niche media is really finding a home? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I think definitely even in uh, communities and regional territories um, around a certain hobby or interest, um, that's actually really um, a bread and butter product of modern litho. Uh, we probably print over 500 plus custom publication titles, and they're not large quantities. I mean, you're talking a community of maybe, you know, two to 5,000, but those people are bought into that um, to that community, and they, they want to contribute, they want to consume that content content and um, it, it's just really cool and obviously we talked about how um, a printed magazine really does add that value for that community and um, it's just a, a lot of times that magazine is the lifeblood that that community mm -hmm. surrounds themselves around so yeah absolutely we, we definitely have seen the the rise of the niche publication market I would say you know uh, I tell people all the time when they visit our uh, publication printing facility mm -hmm. in Jefferson City that if there's an interest that you have there's a magazine for it right it's yeah. incredible <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I could list off title after title mm -hmm. of uh, hobby and interest groups professional groups um, animals those kind of things I mean uh, there are entire communities as, as Cassandra men out there they're small communities but they're tight-knit communities. Mm -hmm. They love what they do. They're passionate about it. And the media that they choose to share that passion with each other is, is printed media. It's, mm -hmm. it's a magazine. Um, and all of them have uh, digital content as well. They all right. have a website. Yeah. Uh, and they all do a great job of communicating content via that. Uh, but, you know, when they really want to get that cover story into people's hands, they want to get those photos uh, into people's hands, uh, they do it via their magazine. So it, it Again, we talked about this has been going on for not just generations or centuries but millennia you know passing story down in the written form in the printed form so uh jeff i'm going to force you to have somewhat of a crystal ball right now like what <laughs> what is the what does the future look like what like what is what's next for uh this industry or even modern litho I think that we'll continue to focus at a personalized level more and more. So what you see today is uh, a good example, maybe J. Crew, right? Where mm -hmm. you know 20 years ago, a J. Crew magazine came to your house and it had everything that J. Crew offered. It had the children's clothes, it had the women's clothes, it had yeah. the men's. Uh, now what do you get? You get essentially a magalog, right? And it comes to Travis and it's got the men's clothing, and then it comes to Travis's wife and it's got the ladies' stuff and yeah. uh, or, or the children's uh, apparel. So that's what we're seeing, and then we're seeing that driven down via data analytics to a personal level mm -hmm. where they know that Travis is interested in a certain segment of their clothing and so we're going to send Travis the magazine that has the shoes and the jackets because that's what Travis buys from us and yeah. then uh, Jeff gets the shirts and the pants right so that's what we're seeing I think that's from a strategy standpoint and a future standpoint uh, a print driven down to an individual level it's just nice to know that I'm going to be a future where I'm not wearing pants, Jeff. Thank you, thank you so, so much. I've got shoes and jackets on, but all right. Uh, how do people learn more about Modern Litho? Oh, um, go to our website, modernlitho.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. All right, Cassandra Atchison and Jeff Davidson from Modern Litho. I'm going to keep walking around and see what's going on at this beautiful open house. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Travis. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks, Travis. Stay tuned. More of Nothing Impossible after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right, welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Travis Sheridan on location in New York City, technically in Dumbo, which uh, I cannot tell you what that is. I know it's something about a bridge and underneath a bridge. Uh, but, yeah, I'm in New York, and I'm catching up with Tara Pham. Uh, for our listeners who don't know cool people in St. Louis or have St. Louis roots, uh, Tara Pham was a St. Louis uh, resident, uh, had a startup out of St. Louis, and moved it to New York. And she is the uh, CEO and co-founder of Numen Numina? Mm -hmm. CEO and co-founder of Numina. Uh, Tara, thanks for joining us. 
Thank you for having me. Dumbo stands for Down Under the Manhattan Bridge Overpass, by the way. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Down Under the Manhattan Bridge Overpass. Uh, so, Tara, tell us a little bit about what your, your company is, is like just as a kind of a baseline for people. Yeah, so uh, at Numina, we're building a data utility for cities. Basically, we measure all kinds of street-level activity, um, mainly for urban planning purposes, and we do that with a sensor that easily mounts to light poles and in a completely privacy-first way can detect all different kinds of travelers in the street. Um, we, we like to say we specialize in the things that don't move in lanes, so people, bicycles, dogs, bags of trash. Um, we do also measure vehicles, but um, we're really trying to make all the other travelers in streets uh, sort of important and a focus of cities and planners. Well, St. Louis drivers don't always move in lanes, so <laughs> there's that piece. So I mean, how is this data used? How, uh, how are these data used for the city planners? Um, so the big thing is, I mean, just generally speaking, um, most cities in the U.S., especially if they are, I would say, west of the Mississippi, they're really built around cars and car counts. Um, and actually, one of the major kind of inspirations or part of our founding story as a company is that my co-founder, Martin McGreal, and I were both hit by vehicles while riding our bikes in St. Louis. Um, we recognize that you know those incidents aren't really just accidents they're kind of inevitable when you don't have good infrastructure for the non-driver traveling in the street and um, so generally just having better data allows them to justify and evaluate um, infrastructure uh, for for people not just for cars and I'll give an ex a specific example um, we deployed in Jacksonville, Florida last year. They had the highest pedestrian fatality rate of any major American city. Um, in one intersection where they had a lot of anecdotal information that pedestrians were acting crazy and jaywalking and really causing all these safety issues, uh, our sensor was able to detect that, yes, there were a lot of pedestrians crossing mid-block, so not at the crosswalk, um, but they all cross at a, actually a very specific band across the street. Hmm. And so what we were able to do is tell the city, you can paint on a crosswalk exactly where pedestrians already cross. And that's like a $30 can of paint as opposed to what might be, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in capital improvements that when cities don't have good data, you know, that's kind of their default reaction. And Wow, that's, uh, that's really interesting. So People jaywalk all the time, but it's kind of like when you go camping and you're in the foothills, if people are going to cut through uh, a trail, there's always a, a switchback. There's always this, uh, you know, groove in the, in the land. Is that what your data were showing? Is that people are going to jaywalk in a very specific location? Yeah, exactly. Wow. So those are called desire lines. Um, so they are, you know, the paths that we naturally want to take. Um, and really, you know, cities, the, the automotive industry really worked wonders in convincing mm -hmm. cities, hey, cars are actually, you know, they require the public right of way and everyone else should be pushed to the side. You are jaywalking and breaking the rules if you enter the street, um, which is crazy because all of the space in between buildings was originally for people on foot or maybe, you know, mm -hmm. with a horse and buggy, um, but a totally different mode of transit. And so, yeah, we actually look at the desire lines of pedestrians and, you know, end goal, the big vision is that as mobility changes significantly, you know, we're getting new modes like scooters and mm -hmm. e-bikes, um, but also even automotive travel is changing with autonomy. 
uh, I think this is a huge opportunity for cities to completely re- rethink their design. Like, mm-hmm. maybe we don't need two lanes each way on every standard street. Um, maybe we don't even need on-street parking anymore because you're dropped off by your rideshare or your yeah. autonomous vehicle drives away. And then what do we do with all that that street space that we get to reclaim for new purposes? Mm-hmm. Um, so we collect data that hopefully will inform that in the future. I'm going to start referring to my wrinkles as desire lines, I think, <laughs> as, as I get older. Uh, now, you came to New York and you participated in a, an accelerator program. And, you know, for our listeners in St. Louis, they, we've talked about accelerators that have a specific focus. So uh, the Yield Lab in St. Louis focuses on ag tech businesses and Stadia Ventures is on sports tech. But you were in Urban X up here in New York. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience is and what that, uh, that accelerator does? Yeah, so we were in the first cohort of UrbanX. We are probably one of the more like B2G companies where we sell an infrastructure to cities. Um, but a lot of the other companies, for example, focus on um, services for urban populations, mm-hmm. you know, like um, modular housing, or I know in the current cohort, there's a foldable bike helmet. Um, mm-hmm. And so really broad range of companies, but generally all pretty much hard tech for cities in, in a broad definition, yeah. Well, I think it's great that we have these these niche, you know, accelerators because you can, your cohort is made up of companies that are trying to solve similar challenges or maybe selling to the same type of customer, but the experts, the the mentors and the, the, the connections are probably geared that way as well, right? That's a really good point. So we joined the accelerator at the time we had... Uh, a prototype of our product. Um, Again, it's a sensor that mounts to light poles and ours at the time was made with completely off-the-shelf parts and basically a lot of duct tape. Mm -hmm. Our goal in joining UrbanX was to have BMW engineers for three months designing um, our sensor for manufacturability, which they did. So that's how we got to our first Mm -hmm. version. And now we actually just kind of launched the second version of our hardware last week. Um, but like one funny sort of finding out of that, we were looking at various enclosures. So our sensor deploys on streets. It has to be weathered at, weatherized for the outdoors um, in pretty extreme environments like hurricanes in Jacksonville and you know winters in New York. We were looking at all these different boxes, and then we ended up landing on, on what we now have, which is kind of a tube form factor, and our enclosure is made out of sewer pipes. So it's... Hmm. four-inch PVC that normally carries waste. Um, yeah. We put our sensor in that, and we make, you know, custom caps so that it's it's weather-sealed. Um, but it's really cool. It does not look like any other street infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a, a design idea um, with our our BMW engineers that we actually we still work with one of the industrial designers that we met through UrbanX. So uh, before you go, uh, you, you know, you're living in New York now. You've done a lot as it relates to kind of building a community here, becoming part of a community here. Describe the New York community, the startup community that, you, that you've, you're growing into and learning about. Um, it's, well, it's funny because tech in New York or startups in New York is actually very small. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think you anything know. was small in New York. <laughs> Everything was big. Well, relatively. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's still big. Um, a fraction in New York is like somebody else's entire GDP. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Well, actually, it's funny. So um, we work with New York City Housing Authority. Mm-hmm. 
their population alone is about the size of the city of Miami. So to your point, it really is like a percentage, a single digit percentage of the city is bigger than like a lot of major Mm -hmm. American cities. Um, Yeah, so tech is actually relative to the rest of New York small, Mm -hmm. um, which is cool because there's, it actually feels more accessible Mm -hmm. than I maybe would have expected or when you Mm -hmm. expect when you like first walk out of Penn Station Mm -hmm. and or something like that. So uh, this is not something that uh, the general customer is going to go out and put in their own backyard, but uh, if governments are interested in your technology, where can they learn more about it? Our website is numina.co.co. Yeah, you can also look up, uh, we just deployed in downtown Brooklyn last week, mm-hmm. so we have a, a project starting live there. We'll actually be in 10 cities in the next three to four months, depending on how wow. bad winter weather is <laughs> um, on our installations. Um, and so, yeah, you'll you'll see us around, um, and and shoot me an email, maybe mm-hmm. email Travis, and he'll connect us. <laughs> I will always connect people to Tara. Tara Pham, uh, co-founder and CEO of Numina. Thanks for taking the time chatting with us. Yeah, thanks for having me and for visiting our office. Thank you for joining us for Where in the World is Travis Sheridan on this edition of Nothing Impossible. We'll continue the conversation about St. Louis innovation next week. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.